right. Let me take a deep breath. Get ready. We're going to keep going on Romans chapter 8. You guys good for that? Okay, sorry I wasn't here with you last week, but I loved how Grant preached about just God as a good shepherd um, and really digging into the word. And I want to say, you can pull it up on your phones if you want to. We'll have it on the screen. We're looking at the Passion Translation today of Romans 8. Uh, We're going to start in verse 14 for those of you guys that are pulling it up. But before we dive into that, I want to say a little note about why it's important for us to teach verse by verse through the Bible Uh, This is something we like to do at least at the minimum once a year. Usually a couple times a year, we'll take a passage of scripture and dissect it. And the reason is because we want to build people who understand and are rooted in who God is. Amen? So if we don't know the word of God, then all of our experiences with the Holy Spirit are subject to be a little skewed. Right? We have to be aligned correctly with who God is, and the Word of God, the Bible is not God, but it is the method he chose to reveal himself. So it's really important, it's sacred, it's necessary to understand it, and I know you guys know this at some level, but when I was praying about uh, just this week and, and what God's doing in us right now, I had the feeling about, I felt like God was highlighting alignment specifically, and What does it look like to align your life with the word of God? And I'm not just saying that you do everything that's in it, but that the word becomes like the the foundation that you stand on that everything else gets built out of. Does this make sense? So I want to tell you a story. A couple years ago, we had a a, a girl. We've had lots of people live with us. I don't know, 30-something people live in our house at different times. And uh, we had a girl that was living with us, and she had, she'd been in our youth group years and years ago. We'd been discipling her for a long time. And um, she moved back to a different city. We were here in Oklahoma. And I heard shortly after she moved that she was in a relationship with somebody. And so uh, I was like, oh, I want to know details, you know, give me the tea. So I call her. I'm like, hey, I heard you're dating somebody. Give me all the info. I said, who is it? And she said, well, her name is, and proceeded. And I was like, oh, oh, Okay. And I was thinking to myself, don't say anything dumb, right? (laughs) Slow down. Let the Holy Spirit take over. And so we spent a few months talking with her about what God was doing in her life and how to navigate this struggle with having a same-sex attraction or or really, are you gay, are you not gay? Just all the the dynamics of that, which are, are weighty. And the more we talked about it, I will never forget, we were having this conversation with her and Grant and I were sitting together with her and just listening to her talk about about her process and where God was in the midst of it. And, she, and I said, you know, well, what do you think about the Bible when, when it goes into some of these different things? And she said, well, I'm not, I, I don't think that the Bible was really written by God. And we kind of looked at each other, we're like, okay, full stop. So the question you've been asking to God is, is it right or wrong if I'm gay? Is, is it okay, God, if I'm gay? And we said, that is completely the wrong question for you. The right question for you to ask is, what is the Bible? Because if you don't understand what the word of God is, then your reasoning for justifying behavior is completely wrong. Does this make sense? I, I get in hot water sometimes from people because I do get these calls a couple times a year where somebody will say, my family member is, is off the rails. They're partying or they're doing this or that. Would you talk to them? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. But they're hoping that I'll come in and say, you're wrong, get this together. You know, the Bible says this and you're off base. And my question is always about alignment. So what do you think about God? So I was having a conversation like this a year ago with somebody. And, and she said she was talking about what was going on in her life and some not good things. And uh, 
I was thinking, well, I know your family wants me to come here and say, this is sin and this is wrong, because it is. I said, but I'm curious, what do you think about God right now? And as we dove into the dynamics of her relationship with Jesus, it became incredibly apparent to me that there was not one. Not necessarily that she wasn't saved, but she wasn't living trying to be a disciple of God, right? So I just told her, the biggest issue for you right now is not to try to like quit sinning and everything you're doing. The biggest issue to you right now is having an encounter with who God is. Because when you align yourself, the behavior begins to flow out. Let me tell it to you this way. Uh, I dated somebody in high school who did not care about the tidiness of my life, okay? It was glorious. So uh, I've never been a tidy person. I, I don't know why, but I've just never wanted all of my drawers to be closed. It seemed like inefficient to me because I'm going to open them up so many times a day. So I positioned my clothes in my dresser to where I could leave all the drawers open and, and just get in them all the time. My mother, God bless you, she's probably watching right now, and, and it bothered her to no end. So, uh, but that's how, to me, it was like it bothered me to have to, oh, so laborious, close the drawer and then open it back up. Like, geez, that's how I felt as a kid. So I dated this guy. He didn't care. I never changed that about me. So then I met Grant, and uh, we were good friends. He had been to my house. He'd been in my room. And I was the kind of person, I still kind of am, who the floor also serves a purpose, you know? So um, some of you guys are, like, totally with me. So, you know, there's some kindred spirit in here with me. I'm not alone. But I had my stack of textbooks, and I had a certain spot in my room that my textbooks went. So Grant comes over. He never says a word. Like, literally the week we start dating, he walks in my room, which he had been in multiple times, and he goes, yeah, all of this needs a home. And I looked at him, and I'm like, that is its home. That's the spot where the books go. He goes, no, 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 no. You need, like, a bookshelf. You need, this needs to be together. And I was like, no. Like, you know. And I should have been, it was a prophetic moment, a deeply prophetic moment in our life. When we built the house that we're in, he looked at me and he said, I love you with my whole heart, and the dream of my life is to never share a closet with you again. <laughs> so we did. We built two separate closets, and we, he can shut the door if he's annoyed at how mine looks, and literally his looks the same every day. It looks like Everything has a home, and it's, it's beautiful in its own right, but mine looks like a collection of Ariel's grotto things, right? And who's it's and what's it's, and it's amazing. Here's, here's the thing. When we didn't have separate closets, I worked hard to be a tidy person. Why? Because the alignment of my relationship with him determined the type of behavior that I had. Previously, this person I dated in high school, I didn't care to change my life because of that relationship. Are you guys tracking with me? But now that I'm married, now that I love this person, now that I want to honor them, I'm not, there's a fine line in this, ladies. I'm not saying I was like submitting to everything he wanted to do. He actually never told me, you're driving, well, he'd tell me he's driving crazy, but he wouldn't say like, you know, you're a bad wife, you got to fix this. It was never that, okay? So I just want to be clear. But I knew, because I love him and I know his preferences, I wanted to come in line with that. You guys tracking with this? This is how the new covenant works with our behavior. When we know God, when we love God, our behavior comes out of that place. So I don't sin because I love God. Not just because I think it's wrong. I mean, it's both. But if I'm watching a TV show and there's people becoming unclothed, I skip ahead because does it bother me? Not necessarily, but it bothers me because it bothers God. Does that make sense? So when I'm having these moments in worship like we had this morning where my, I'm locked eyes with you, God, 
and I'm just, I'm just free before you, and I'm just connecting with you. I want to know that the, the byproduct of my life is in line with who you are because I honor you, right? So in the old covenant, we do all the right things, and we don't do the bad things because we're afraid of God because we're afraid of his wrath. But in the new covenant where we are now, we do the right things, we don't do the wrong things because we're so enamored with his love. Amen? So understanding the word of God, I know this is a long point to get to this moment, but understanding the word of God is vital for us, not so that we just know what's right or wrong, not so that we, we you know, can check the box and say, I did, I did good this week, Lord, pat me on the back. It has nothing to do with that. It's, I want to know who you are. I want to know your sense of humor. I want to know the types of things you're okay with. And then when we're interacting with other people, we're not holding them to a standard they can't live under because of their revelation, right? The stories I told you earlier, I could, and I have in the past, you know, wrongly in my opinion, but I could sit down with people and say, wow, you know, your life is really a mess because of this and this and this. And you just need to fix that. And that might work for a short amount of time. But if I want to see life change in somebody, it's only going to come when they get a revelation of who God is, and that becomes the continual fuel for their behavior. Amen? So all of that to say, let's look at verse 14 in Romans 8. This is Passion Translation again. It says, The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. So I want to camp on this for just a minute. We're going to read a longer portion of scripture in a second. But this word moved is in other translations led, those who are led by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And that word led in the original language is ago. And it actually is the same root word for agon, which is where we get the word agony. Okay? So you have ago and you have agon. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing these correctly. And so it means led or it means agony. So here's what I want us to understand. This picture of those who are the mature are led by God. Think about it like a shepherd uh, or someone extending a hand to you to gently lead you. Or if you have goats, putting a rope around the goat's neck to lead them somewhere. This is the word picture of this particular scripture. So let's read it again. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. And this is why our, this understanding is so important when it gets to the outworkings of our life. The Holy Spirit is coming to you. He's extending his hand very gently. Say, I'm going to show you how to do this. But you have the choice of whether you go with him and be led or whether you fight against it. So we were in the Middle East a few years ago. Well, it's been a longer than that now, but we were at a Starbucks because if you know Grant, he, uh, he's, he's married to Starbucks as well. So um, he always rolls his eye to me when I say that. Anyways, we found a Starbucks in Jordan and the country of Jordan, and it was probably the only one in the whole country. And it had this beautiful upper level. So we're sitting there and we're looking out and there's this man, Muslim man in the whole, like, um, I forget what they're called, but the dress type thing. It's not the way to say it, but you know what I'm saying? And he had uh, goats and he had them with a stick and he had one on a string. And this guy was just trying to get from there to there, okay? And these goats were not having it. And he is like, come on. <laughs> And the goat's like, you know, and it just was, it was not a pleasant sight. I think this picture is the picture of our hearts and our desire to be aligned with God or not. So God is saying to you, I want to lead you. And the mature, they actually let themselves be led. 
But the ones that aren't mature yet, it might feel like agony. It might feel like you're the goat. The Holy Spirit's like, I'm telling you, this is the right way. And we're like, but I love whatever this is. So I love this scripture, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit because what it's saying to you and I is we have a choice to make. Are we going to truly yield or are we going to fight every step of the way? Here's what happens. We're in a moment of electric worship. Oh, God, you can have it all. Whoops. Now he's going to do that, right? Our prayers become living words. So we pray, God, have your way in my life. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? If you pray that consistently, that's what he's trying to do right? So he's now pulling you because you asked me, Rachel, you asked me to have your way in my life. And I'm going, what are you doing? This hurts. And so we enter into the agony instead of operating like a mature son or daughter and allowing ourselves to be led. Amen. Let's keep going. This is so good. Verse 15. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. The Passion Translation paraphrases that from the spirit of slavery or bondage. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, unfolding you into the family of God. Okay? So I want you to do a second, something for me in a second. Just close your eyes. And I want you to think, do you struggle with the fear of not being good enough to God? Does that resonate in you? And if it does, just be bold and just raise both your hands up. And it's okay. You're not alone. Okay, there's quite a few of you. You don't have to look, but there's quite a few of you. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Put your hands out like you're receiving something from the Lord. Because that feeling that you're not good enough, God is telling you in his word, that feeling has been put on you from the devil, not from him. God does not feel that way about you. What he has done is he has released on you the spirit of full acceptance. So as your hands are out, I want you to receive from God the spirit of full acceptance. You are accepted as you are. And let's just take a second to just soak that in. For those of you guys that have really, really struggled with that, just put your hands on your head. Lord, we just come against every every lie of religious duty right now in Jesus' name. And I speak over every person in this room that has felt the weight of condemnation, the weight of accusation. We break the power of that right now. And I release over them your acceptance, the full and complete acceptance that you have given to them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, you can put your hands down. You can open your eyes. Here's what it says. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. Enfolding you into the family of God. That's your reality now. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. You actually are God's beloved child. I think one of the biggest lies that religion wants us to be constantly ruminating on is this acceptance thing. 
it's that God is that there's something always a little bit off about us, something God's not entirely pleased with. I, I want to say something. I just want to be really blunt for a second. Sometimes our biggest challenge in our life with God is actually our beliefs. It's not God. So um, I'm wearing my revivalist T-shirt today because I kept seeing this picture of a tornado, a good tornado, like God shifting something. And I was like, what is that tornado? And the Lord kept saying, if we can shift into the right mentality, the power begins to flow through us. In pre-service prayer, somebody put it like this. He said, I feel like I, feel like I was having trouble emptying myself. And I felt like the Lord said, when you become empty, I can fill you. It, it's all the same picture. And the thing is that a lot of times, we're most of the time, we're waiting on God to do something when God is actually waiting on us. And the reason why he's waiting on us is because we're believing something wrong about him. It's a whole big cycle, right? So I look back at my life, I don't know, seven years ago, ten years ago, even five years ago, and even two years ago in some places, and I go, why couldn't I understand that? And the reason is because I was afraid to admit that my beliefs could be wrong. That may not be your thing. Probably for some of you it is. Just this fear of like, if I'm wrong about this, am I wrong about everything? And so when we step into freedom and we take this spirit of full acceptance, for example, then we really do put to death this fear of not being accepted. Does that make sense? And so when it starts to creep up, we, take, we wage war on it and we don't let it shift our thinking. We, it's like we become the tornado and say, no, 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 that might feel really good to me because I'm so familiar with thinking that way, but I'm not that because that's not who God said that I am. Amen? So what it looks like is this process where we're, we're receiving his acceptance, we're waging war on the lies, we're renewing our mind. It's like all these moving pieces. And the more we do that, we continually get enfolded into the family of God, as this is saying. And then we realize we're not orphans. And then that all just makes us lay out our affection on God. And as we release onto the Lord, he begins to give us more and it just becomes a snowball. This is my prayer for you. This is our goal with the School of Discipleship, just to be honest, is that you guys would all enter into that type of a thing. Let's keep going in verse 17. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. This is crazy, guys. It's crazy. Think about it. In the Old Testament, up until the cross, Jesus, or excuse me, God it did not appear that God wanted us to be co-heirs. <laughs> Can we just put it that way? God has a bit of a hot side. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament lately, but uh, some of my favorite scriptures are when he's debating with Moses, and Moses is like, don't kill them, Lord. Remember, you're compassionate. That's how I hear it in my head, right? And God's like, oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right, Moses. Of course, that's not totally the dynamic. But he has an issue with people. Then all of a sudden, the resurrection happens, and God has no issue with people. Why? Because I think he still has an issue with people, but now you have Jesus in you, and he treats you like Jesus. Jesus is his favorite, right? It is the, it's, it's a part of him. They're, they're one. And so now you are one solely because of Jesus. So anytime we start to think, oh, that can't be true because, and we list any outward behavior, we're already automatically wrong. Because God has not accepted you because of your track record. He's accepted you because of Jesus in you. 
Amen? And because of that, we get to ride the coattails on a whole bunch of stuff. It's incredible. It's amazing. It says, and since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit, we inherit all that he is and all that he has. And we will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. It's a two-way street. Lord, I'm with you on the mountain, but I also need to be with you in the valley. I also have to trust you in the parts that are suffering. Verse 18, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Who are those people? Anybody know? It's you. It's you. You might not feel like the glorious, you know, here I am, the glorious daughter of God, right? You might not feel like that, but that doesn't matter. Because all of creation is on tiptoe going, are they going to figure it out? Is this the moment? Is this the breakthrough moment? Is this when their mindset's going to go, yes, I get it? Because as long as we're waiting on God, we have no responsibility. We have no ownership. For those of you guys that are married or, or been in a relationship with someone for a long-term family member, uh, you know, it doesn't work when you apologize but don't own what you did. Anybody know that? Right? It's like you can say, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I won't get into all that. But um, you can say things like, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. It's a valid apology. It's an entirely different apology to say, I'm sorry that I did this and I recognize that my actions affected you. Right? One has ownership, one doesn't. This is what God is, is saying for us, I believe, this morning, is we have to decide, am I going to take ownership over my piece of this relationship or not? Because it's possible. You can be saved, you can go to heaven, you can have some great times in worship, great encounters with God, and never take ownership. I'm in a, a study right now in the book of Revelation that's so good, and they made this comment about when the disciples were asking Jesus about the end of the world. And they kept saying, yeah, yeah, God, but when is it going to be over? How's it going to end, right? And Jesus, in the two times he addressed those questions, what he did was point them back to the thing they had control over, not the thing they didn't. Isn't that interesting? Matthew 24, 14, he says, well, you preach the gospel to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's like, and I think this is still our human nature. We're going, God, when are you going to deal with this? And God's like, no, you don't, you don't need to be me. This is your part. You take ownership over this. You want the end of the world to come? Great. Go preach the gospel to all the nations. And in your doing that, you'll probably feel less inclined because your heart will break and you won't want people to, you won't want it to be over. Does this make sense? It's the ownership piece that's so important. And I think this is what he's saying. It's like the, 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 the universe is groaning. Like, I don't mean universe in a new agey way, but like literally the creation, the cosmos, the earth, the canyons, all of it, the water, it's actually groaning. Because it's wanting people, the people of God, to understand who we are. God's waiting on us. The universe is waiting on us. And we are waiting on us. Okay. Here we go. Verse 20. <laughs> Thank you. For, so the universe says, uh, let me go back to 19. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of the glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, 
Oh, this is so interesting. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequence of human sin. In other words, it's not the earth's fault that these things are happening. It didn't have a choice in whether even Adam ate the apple. It's, it's now, it's, it's like in, uh, it's in a holding pattern, waiting for us to do what we were supposed to do. It says, but now... With eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are, this is verse 22, to this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. This is interesting. What this is saying is that the way the Holy Spirit is groaning, it's now happening inside of you too. So any part of you that's like, oh, why can't this fullness be now? Now you're getting a glimpse of what the earth and the heavens are feeling. So I think it's interesting that this translation says, um, inwardly groaning as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. To me, when I, when I read this, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of highlighted it because to me, it feels like that feeling when you're waiting on a healing to come and it's just not coming. And a lot of times people, and I have several people in my life that this fall, fall into this category. It's like you've been prayed for so many times and it's difficult to have the guts to come up and pray one more time, but also you want to continue to believe, but then there's a track, you know, there's all these different components about it that feel very difficult for somebody dealing with ongoing disease. And what I think is interesting about this is that it's almost like the Holy Spirit is groaning along with you. So if you're struggling with something like that, you need to understand the Holy Spirit is also desperate for you to, fo- to step into the fullness that God has created. Because it's, it's not right. It's not what God wants for the physical body to be in perpetual difficulty with disease. I mean, even cancer, different, difficult things. You guys know what I'm talking about. And sometimes we don't know how to deal with God because it's like, but this is what your word says, but it's not happening here. And we get confused and then we pull back and we withdraw and we just quit asking because it's too complicated. And I think if we will take this scripture and go deep with it, you'll begin to have some revelation about what it looks like to co-groan with God. It goes back to what I was sharing with you guys a few weeks ago that normally when we sin, right, we talked about this in the first part of this chapter, we, we stand over here with our sin and we perceive God judging us. But what he wants us to do is come over where God is and we stand with God and together we judge our sin. When we're dealing with sickness, disease, that, that kind of stuff, perpetual torment, I mean, I'm talking about even insomnia, like anything physically in your body that's not right, mental health, it doesn't matter, it falls into this category. What we tend to do is stand with our disease and, and try to understand how God thinks about it. But we can't, we're not separating who we are from the issue. Does that make sense? Now we've engrossed ourselves with our issue and we've let that become our identity. And so whether God is a healer or not, that, we can't acknowledge that unless he heals this because we've enmeshed ourselves with that. Does that make sense? But what God is saying is I want you to come over here 
and you and I together look at what's going on in your body. And you and I together acknowledge me as a healer, acknowledge me in your life. We, we co-groan that this is wrong. Does that make sense? It's like our mentality begins to elevate when we understand that we are united with him and we are not united with suffering. We are not united with disease. We are not united with sin. Amen? All right, verse 24. For this is the hope of salvation. Ooh. It says, but hope means that we must trust and wait for something that is still unseen. Hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need hope for something we already have? Hope is really hard. Amen. What's that old Sandra Bullock movie, Hope Floats? Like, that's not how it works in the kingdom. <laughs> it doesn't float. It's like an anchor in the ocean. <laughs> it just pulls you down, right? It's really hard to have biblical hope. I love how Steve Backlund says this. He says, um, any area, this is interesting, he says, any area of your life that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. I'll say that again. Any area of your life that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. That's an uncomfortable thought. I don't know about you, <laughs> but I've, I've been listening to that quote, I don't know, it's been probably 10 years, and I'll sometimes go, oh, I can't think about that right now, because it starts to feel heavy, like, I don't have any hope about this situation. And, and again, it goes back to the practicing what I'm talking about. And so when you discover something that doesn't have hope, don't stand over here, stand with God, and find the hope about that situation, amen? So he says, so, uh, so we must trust, but, okay, verse 24, but hope means that we must trust and wait for something still unseen. For why would we need hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. Hmm. Any patient waiters out there? <laughs> I am trying to become one. Graham Cook always says, um, there's no conference on patience in the kingdom. Nobody would go, right? It's true. Nobody's going to sign up to go to a conference on patience. Yet it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, which means that every single one of us have to learn it. We all do. And I love that this is like, this is, gives us, verse 25 gives us a picture of what patience is supposed to be. Because most of us probably, I'm going to make an assumption here, most of us, when we're patient, the longer we're patient, the less we believe in what we're hoping for. Right? The longer that it takes to come, the less convinced we are. But it's interesting because it's backwards in the kingdom of God. The longer that we wait, the more convinced we should be because God will direct you as you're waiting. So if you're waiting on the wrong thing, you're going to know. Like, if you're, if you're seeking the Lord, do you know what I mean? How many of you guys, I, I wanted to be an actress so bad. I was convinced this is what I was supposed to do with my life. Like, moving to L.A., I'm sure the second I step off the plane, I'll be given a leading role. I mean, you know, total delusion. So I was 16, but still. Um, and I was, like, I was like, this is what I'm waiting for for my life. And as I began to seek the Lord, I began to pray. Is this what you want for me, God? And very quickly, that dream went away and has never come back. Because as we seek the Lord, he's good at guiding us. So when we're waiting for something and we're still waiting, a year later, two, five, seven, maybe like Moses, 40 years later, if you're still waiting on something, 
and, it, and God has not told you you're doing the wrong thing, you should be increasing in joy over that. You should be increasing in expectation of something he wants you to do. Okay, I can tell you guys really appreciated that thought. <laughs> it's tough, I know, it's, it's tough, but it's true. All right, uh, verse 26, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty. Thank you, God, for this. The Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times, we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. Have you guys ever heard this Graham Cook joke? He goes, why is the Holy Spirit sighing? Because he has to live with you. It's like, oh, Lord, this girl over here again, right? He's, he's sighing too deep for words. Anybody know a sire in your life? They just walk in, they're just like, <sighs> and you're like, well, all of a sudden now I know something's wrong. Do I want to ask or do I want to just pretend, Right? The sigh is a, is a form of communication that's actually really important, and what I, or it's, it's very valid. And what I love about this is that even when we are compounded with so many differing thoughts and we don't know how to articulate, even in that moment, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need. This is why praying in tongues is so important, because we're praying the will of God. We're, we're bypassing our own desires. All right, let's try to finish up this section. Verse 27, God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands, so he knows our longings, he also understands the desire of the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan in our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. What is this saying? This is saying we have to trust the Holy Spirit. That's it in a nutshell. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. We have to ask the Holy Spirit, help me. And we have to understand that even when we're not asking, he's interceding for us. Even when we don't know what to pray, even if we're not aware that we need prayer, he's interceding for us. You guys uh, familiar with what happened in Beirut? I think it was the last week. I just read an article yesterday. Um, there was a pastor about a mile from the blast zone, and they were meeting, and they had several ministries happening. They had a kid's thing happening with, like, tutoring or something, and they were making food to deliver to people. And the pastor said he was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit with this sense of doom, and he couldn't figure it out. And he started going through the room telling everybody, we're done, we're canceled, you have to go home. And everybody kept saying, we're in the middle of making this meal. You know, they're giving all these excuses. And he, he was like, I didn't understand. I just knew I had to get them out of the building. He ended up turning off the computers because the people wouldn't leave. He was like, put the food in the fridge, get out. And they were all really mad at him. I think it was like within a couple hours of that happening that the explosion went off. And he said, I know because of where we were and the damage to the building that there would be people who had died. And I read that just with such a sense of overwhelming, like the Holy Spirit knows right? He knows. I could tell you other stories, but this one I think sums it up perfectly. And so we don't always have to understand to trust him, but he's trying. He knows what God's will is for your life. He knows what your desires are. He's sort of the intermediary praying and trying to pull all these things together because he's a genius and he's really good at that. And so when we trust him, he works it all out for us. 
And that's what it means. We're convinced that every details of our life is woven together. We don't have to know the answer to trust. Amen? And when we trust, part of what we're doing is trusting that he actually knows the answer. All right, we've got two more verses, and we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, let's see, verse 29. For he knew all about us before we were born. Amen. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son, Jesus, is the oldest among, or this means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. That's your goal. That's your destiny. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorifies with his son. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. What does it look like to be a disciple of God? What does it look like to live this out? That we yield our life to God and then the good things are all him. That's what it looks like. When something is going right in your life, that's the glory of God coming on display in you. Um, I think about this all the time with our business. You know, we have a couple of different businesses, but our Chamberlain Realty business, it's like what God is doing is incredible. And you could say, oh, because you learned this or oh, because you did this. No, all it is, in a nutshell, is the glory of God on display because Grant gave an avenue to the Lord to do that. And so God begins to do that, right? You see what I'm saying? So people will ask us, you know, how'd you do that, whatever? And it's like, it's God. I mean, yeah, there's practicals we could share. But if you really want to see what God's doing, you've got to yield your life to him so that he can be glorified through you. That's what it looks like. Amen? It's one of the ways. And it looks like that regardless of who you are and what your calling is. So we are all destined to become like Jesus. And my prayer for you is that as you yield your life to him, it just keeps getting better. It just keeps, you know, expanding and growing and, and the love of God comes out of you more. Does that make sense? All right. So we're going to finish up this chapter next week because this is my, the part that's to come is actually my favorite in the whole chapter of Romans 8. So it's going to be exciting. Um, I want to take a second to pray over you guys. I know we're kind of like, it's like an awkward time to end it, but I, I want to make sure we have enough time next week to dive into it. So here's what I need you to do. Um, take a second. And I want you to think about what's the one thing the Holy Spirit wants you to take out of these verses that we covered today. So Holy Spirit, would you just illuminate this morning to each and every one of us, what's the thing you want us to be meditating on and focusing on? And I'm going to give you guys a second just to pray into that in your own heart. You can do it inside your mind. You can say out loud however you feel comfortable. But just begin to ask the Lord, show me everything I need to know about this. Help me embrace this for myself. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, I just bless every person that's in this room that's listening to this. Lord, I bless their ability to shift the narrative of their mind. I just bless them with, with the, the fervor to renew their mind before you, to come into right alignment with who you are, that their life would come out of the place of knowing you and having relationship with you. Lord, we want to be dangerous people in the kingdom of God. We want to be bold revivalists in the kingdom of God. We want to be the kind of people that are magnets to others who are trying to figure out how to have a relationship with you. 
And so I just bless every person in this room to live co-glorified with you this week, that you would become, that you would expand your presence in their life, that we would become more aware of it, and, uh, and, and that we would be just enfolded into your family in a tangible and real way, in Jesus' name. And again, Lord, over every person that's been, that's been struggling over, under, under the weight of religious thinking that um, makes them feel like they're under the spirit of um, not being good enough, Lord, we do, we just break the power of that right now. And I ask, Lord, that you put the power in their hands to remove that thought completely, to tear that stronghold down, and to come fully into your spirit of acceptance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, If you want to grab a discipleship application, they're going to be back there, or you can grab it online. Love to have you apply and jump in with us. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you soon. If you need prayer for something specific, come grab me over here. I'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.